Look at this screen and uh, let me just invite you to ponder this quote from Henry David Thoreau. I was on the screen earlier on and each week we sort of look at the quotes that Dean um, provides us with and we, we choose our favorite ones. So here's my favorite one, um, but I want you to tell me how it strikes you. He says, faith keeps many doubts in her pay. If I could not doubt, I should not believe. Does that make sense to you or does it confuse you or do you think it's actually a lack of faith and trust that would make you say that thing? So I have been polling and last week you gave me a stack of index cards that was great fun to read and to sort. And we are, until the end of November, we're going to deal with the questions that you have generated. And as I said last week, I'm hoping that we'll find the top 10 questions. And wouldn't you know it, that all of the questions you asked neatly fit into 10 big questions. Well, that's what a preacher does. He takes all of the information and makes it a three-point sermon or something like that. But I think actually they, they do fit neatly and properly under the category of some major questions. But you wrote the question, and if you see the ones, I'm going to give you those categories this morning. And if you see them and say, well, he didn't capture mine, then tell me that. Because then we'll find a context in which we should be talking about the question that you have. So we are talking this morning about whether um, faith and doubt can coexist, or belief and doubt can coexist. And so here are the questions that um, I think post themselves as kind of the, the, the subject under which there are several other questions. And under each one of these is probably 10 or 15, in some cases, um, of sort of sub-questions that we will bring into our discussion. And these are not in order. We should probably sort them. Um, although I will, I'll ask you a question at the end, and um, it is this. Which of these do you think was the most prevalent answer? And I think you'll probably easy, easily get the answer to that question. So can I doubt and have faith at the same time? Does God really care about me personally? What kind of book is the Bible? How should the word Christian be understood today? Where is God when people are suffering so much? Why does evil exist? What is life's meaning? How can a loving God banish people to a conscious eternal suffering? How can the Old Testament God be the same as the New Testament God? Hmm. So are you interested in some of those questions? Which one do you think was the most frequently asked question? What's your guess? What would it be about? Suffering. suffering. Almost half the questions were about God and suffering. So that's a biggie. Um, and that is something that, as Mike said, whether you're on your way to faith or in the middle of faith, the same question is on our minds and on our hearts. And so what we want to do deliberately here for these couple of months is say, you can ask those questions. 
We may not get satisfactory answers, but we will certainly keep on asking the questions. And I'm confident that as we talk together, somebody's going to say something that will, will just put a bit of light on a subject for you. And you will say, I never thought of it that way, and that really helped. So we are trying to make our way through life's big questions. And the very first thing we have to clear off is the forbidding of asking hard questions. So I told you last week about my um, Bible college president who answered my question to him by saying, don't ever ask those kinds of questions and scared me to my soul. What does that mean? So we're not going to say that here, ever. What I want to do is take you to somebody who dared to ask really hard questions. So this person's name was Job. And the story of Job is an incredible epic saga, um, probably the oldest story in the Bible. And there's this man, Job, who's a really good guy. And he is living a life that is called righteous, and he is known in history as righteous Job. Um, and to this situation, there's a visitor in heaven and the story says that Satan came to heaven and God said, have you noticed Job? And our first question is, why is God pointing out Job? Like, and Job is certainly going to ask that question. Why did you tell him about me? So uh, Satan says, well, yeah, of course Job's fine because I can't touch him. You've, you have a hedge around him and I can't get near him. So God says, okay, let's make a deal. You can touch everything that he has, but you can't touch him yet. So Satan goes about it, and the story of Job is one in which he loses everything. Um, the fires, raiders, um, and then finally, uh, something else happens that his whole family gathered one time at a party are all slaughtered all at the same time. His whole family is dead. And then at that point, Satan has permission to actually bother Job himself. And God says, you can do anything except take his life. And so Satan goes about it. And we find ourselves in the middle of the story where Job, covered in sores, is sitting in the dirt, trying to scrape the pain off his body with clay pottery um, and wishing that the day had never come in which he was born. At the same time, his wife is over there saying, curse God and die, for goodness sake. Wow. So here is, in the middle of all this, and this week I read Job again several times. I've passed Job over too many times. The wisdom that is in there is, is marvelous to, to behold. Um, you need to, to read what Job says and give him credit. You need to read what his friends say and write that off, because they, they're full of nonsense. And he finally says that. He says, you guys are, you guys are great friends. You, you did one good thing. You came and you sat quietly for seven days. That's the only good thing you've ever done. Then you started talking, and you are wrong. You're wrong, wrong, wrong. You cannot explain my life. You can't explain the meaning of life in your trite little ways. So... Here in the middle of it all, Job says, have pity on me, my friends. He's talking to these guys. Have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, 
that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I want to ask you this question. Um, what did Job doubt? What did he doubt? What, what is um, surfaced by this complaint of his? What, what does he doubt? I think there's several things we could probably identify. Just call out to me what you think Job might have been doubting, and I'll repeat it so everybody hears. He doubted that. He doubted that he counted. All right? Good. What else? He doubted whether God still loved him or not. He doubted that his life had any purpose except to be, you know. What else? He doubted that there was justice. Yeah. How else would you phrase that about God? Yeah, he doubted that God was fair. Anything else? It says, yep, yep, we're going to jump to that. Got ahead of me. Just me. It's the Irish mind. It just thinks. Anything else that Job might have doubted? He doubted God's plan for him. What did he doubt about his friends? Say again. I still can't hear. He doubted their logic. That's good. I doubt my hearing sometimes. That's good. Yeah, he doubted their logic. And how many of those things are in play in our lives, right? Is God fair? Is there justice? Is there purpose to my life? Can I trust what anybody else says? Um, what, what do we do with all of that? So here is Job, and Job is a doubter. And the, the drama that the book of Job presents to us, and what we could take a little side trip on is the question of, well, what is this, this book about? Did this really happen? Um, is it real history? Are they real characters? Was Job an actual character in history. What is the Bible is one of our questions. How do you read this book? Do you read it as though every line and verse is absolutely true, absolutely happened, or are parts of it something different than that? Is, is Job just a story? Um, and if it is just a story, what's the purpose of the story? What is God trying to tell us by telling us that story? If it's not a story and God did this, um, who's on Job's side here? Come on. Who's not on Job's side? Everything went wrong for him, and, and he did nothing. And his Job, his friends, they, they sat down and they went through the same pattern over and over again. Here's the way it goes, Job. You sin, God punishes, you repent, God forgives. Do you want to say it after me, Job? Because you obviously have sinned because God is punishing you, therefore evidence that you have sinned and you better repent so that God can stop punishing you. And Job says, I hear what you're saying. We had a son, Colin, and he spent most of his adolescence saying, I hear the words that you're saying. I don't know what they mean. You, you've all had kids like that, I think, right? 
So, so Job says, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. But the problem is I did nothing wrong. There's nothing to be punished for because I didn't do anything wrong. Now, does God judge Job for his doubt? I think he doesn't. And what I'm wanting to, to you know, get settled this morning is that there are legitimate doubts that we ought to voice and we ought to struggle through those, those doubts. God settled the situation with Job's friends um, and he vindicated Job at the end. He, he showed to Job's friends that Job was righteous, that he had not done anything sinful for which he ought to be blamed or punished. And so we find ourselves sitting with Job saying, yeah, yeah, I've got questions as well. Is it okay if I ask questions or will I be scolded for asking questions? Um, is it possible that I would lose faith if I pressed too hard into questions? And that, I think, is the, um, the conversation at play in the evangelical church. So we've had notorious deconversions, if you, if you can believe it. They, they're being called deconversions. People who used to be um, leaders in the evangelical church have deconverted from Christianity. Sometimes they've, they've deconverted because of moral issues, but more often they've deconverted over what the church is now saying and believing and, and proposing, and so they're, they're leaving the church. Um, is it possible that if you ask too many questions, you might be in danger of slipping into deconversion, right? So there are reasons we should be careful in talking. Steve? Unpacked it? So people who want... Right. So let's go to conversion. People convert to Christianity, and people, some people now are converting out of Christianity. So that's sort of a, it's a mark in the sand when I once moved from being not a Christian, now a Christian, to someone who now publicly says, I was a Christian, but now I'm not a Christian. I have deconverted. So, I don't know. See, I'm not going to give you answers every time here. I'm just going to say a lot of, I don't know. And go, hmm, what do you think? Right. But let's not avoid the question. We'll be back to it. Good. So the verses that immediately follow this, and this is astonishing. Here's the context, what, what Steve brought us to already. Job is in misery. He, he's in absolute misery. I mean, he, he says, I wish that I died before I was born. I wish that somebody had killed me as soon as I was delivered. I'm accursed. I, you know, somebody please shoot me. And then he immediately, if, in the flow of the text, so it, that's the important thing. See that this is all one block of text. One block of text that says, I am in misery, and then immediately I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been de destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another how my heart yearns within me. So we saw what Job doubted. And what I want to do is ask you now to go to this and just take, again, three or four minutes at your table and talk to one another 
and see what he believed. What, what are the, the aspects of belief that are shown in that little passage of Scripture? So we know what he doubted. He doubted that God was fair. He doubted that his friends had any sense. He doubted that his life meant anything. But now he's moved to the posture of belief, and he says, I know. And then we start singing Messiah, right? Because there it is. I know the my Redeemer. So, so go ahead and just turn around a little bit and see if you can identify two or three things at least that in this passage he says he believes. He's not a doubter about these three things. Go ahead. You have to talk to the people at your group, Pat. <laughs> you and Steve are in the same group over there. What, what are two or three things that he states he believes? All right, let's do some talking together. Another way to ask this question is to ask, what did Job not doubt, right? So that's a, maybe a little different spin. What did he doubt? Well, it's pretty clear he has several things that he is doubting. But he's not doubting what? What is your list of two or three or the one thing that, Seems like he's saying he doesn't doubt. Okay, doesn't doubt the existence of God. God's sovereignty and supremacy. Doesn't doubt the resurrection. In fact, what kind of resurrection does he not doubt? His own, his own um, spiritual, mystical, ideological. Yeah, right. So, not not somebody else. Me, my flesh. I'm gonna see God. Hmm. What else does he not doubt? Michelle, you're hiding back there, so I can't. Anything else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, he's, he's looking for deliverance and knows it might not be tomorrow. Good. Sylvia. Huh? Good question. How did he know all this? Who taught him? Probably a mother. That's what you've been thinking, right? Sylvie. And, and that's tough stuff for us Westerners who can get whatever we want now. Right. Doubt and faith. What, what kind of a thing is doubt? It's one of those awful questions that English teachers ask. What is the meaning of this poem? I don't know what it means. It doesn't rhyme, so I don't know what it means. What kind of a thing is doubt? What would you say? <laughs> doubt is the rebar of faith? I know what rebar is. <laughs> but, but for some who don't, thanks, John. <laughs> 
What else? What, what kind of a thing is faith? Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. So what kind of a thing is doubt and what kind of a thing is faith? So doubt is shadow, faith is reality. Okay. Doubt is faith. Where would you say that? Okay. Depending on what you doubt. Okay. So it's things that maybe once you were sure about. And something happens, and you're not sure anymore. Yeah, yeah. And that's scary, I think, in this whole process. That's what's scary, is if my friend is right, don't ever ask those kinds of questions. Yeah, it maybe would be better not to ask those kinds of questions, but I have to if I'm a doubter, right? Great. Super. What else comes to mind? You can go either to doubt or faith and help us understand. Okay, faith is not something you have. It's something you live every day. Okay. Mr. Burns, you're looking pensive. Or you're thinking about lunch, right? I'm not sure which. Maybe both. Both. Ah! So faith is a relational word. Is doubt also then a relational word? Would it, would it start to put some clothes on on doubt to make it less the, the boogeyman and the enemy if, if it's something relational? John, you're waving? Ian Middleton brought it up, <laughs> being English and all. All right. Yeah. Okay, is it a mental process or a feeling that's going on? when I'm doubting, or is it both? Um, and which kind of doubt is, is okay or healthy, and which kind of doubt is very tricky? 
and we maybe need to embrace them all, but maybe we can get some conversation going over these next couple of months about things that are just, well, we think that or we believe that and are we right to think or believe that? Um, and not if it's proven not to be true, it's, it's okay, it's not true. But there are other aspects of faith that we would say, if, if I doubted that, I would, I would be really shaky, it feels. Let me, Sylvie. So, so is doubt Satan trying to give us ideas? Is he the origin of all doubt? Or does he pile on, at least, when I have doubt? Okay. Last throw into the mix kind of deal is, is doubting Thomas. Is he okay or not with his doubts? Remember his story? So he wasn't there when Jesus appeared after he rose from the dead. And Thomas said, unless I put my finger in the nail prints, I'm not going to believe. So Jesus showed up. And what did he do with Thomas's doubt? And, and Thomas's doubt was relational. It was, it was factual. Um, it was uh, religious. Right, so it had a lot of aspects. What did Jesus do with his doubt? Confronted it, yeah. Okay, wasn't he, he? Jesus wasn't afraid of it, and I think you know. Again, let's say God's not afraid of our doubts. We we have lots of work to do in terms of sorting them through, and you know, sorting out the strands. But there's no doubt that ever has crossed God's, you know, horizon and had him say, oh my goodness. Nothing shocks him, nothing surprises him, no doubt takes him by surprise. So Jesus was not, you know, upset by Thomas's doubt. But he confronted him about it and said, okay, here. And then Thomas did what? He said, my Lord and my God. And what did Jesus say to him about believing and doubting after that? He said, good for you, Thomas, because you have seen and you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet they do believe. What was Jesus doing with Thomas? Was, was he scolding him or was he schooling him? Which one? Schooling, right? Yeah, he was taking taking an opportunity and saying, I, "I didn't, you know, I I I didn't shame you for not believing. I confronted your unbelief, your doubts, and there are people who are going to be able to believe without proof, and they're really blessed." Job believed some things without proof. He he, in fact, had forensic evidence that there was no resurrection, or maybe not. Um, he doubted it. Um, the existence of God and the purposes of God were beyond him, and yet he, was, he had this lofty, you know, all of a sudden, um, you know, insight, and said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And I, so th the relational part of it all, I think, is 
probably the, the real nub of the issue. So what does it mean in my relationship with God when I'm in doubt or when I'm in belief? And I think Mike's right that they, they are relational entities. Um, and what I hope we can do is, is find our, our personal journey in, in our doubting and in, in our believing um, in such a way that, that it, it informs my relationship with God. Um, it, it, it talks to me about how I know God or don't. So bottom line today, I, I want to, for the record, um, faith, belief, are, are compatible with, with doubt. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to believe. Now, I'm not a computer person at all, so I, I, this is me jumping into deep water. Um, Supercomputers can do what? Somebody who does know computers, tell us. What can supercomputers do? Paul, look, it looks like you know. I think you can, no, you're just, just looking wise. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's, that's good. Say again? See that? Do you know how many points pi has now been calculated to? <laughs> Billions. I don't know why you need to know pi to whatever. So the... the the thing about supercomputers, I, th I think, is that they're, they're like quantum computers, right? And quantum theory, for the first time, said um, it, it's not binary anymore. So traditional computers, it's either one or zero, right? And the calculations are all based on either or. Um, the supercomputers and quantum theory say they can all be true at the same time. And when, when you can go sideways, backwards, up and down on whatever, the possibilities are enormous. So things that are taking way, way, way too long to calculate, even in terms of medical science, they're saying that a supercomputer will get a hold of this and will work out every direction, every possibility. So um, here's a crazy segue. Does not even nature itself teach you that it's a shame for a man to have long hair? Right. The point is, nature itself tells us something. The, the nature of, of reality. So this idea that in, in the physical world, it's not only binary, one or the other. Uh, it's, it's, it's whole. So that in God's word, in God's world, it, there may also be the possibility that we, we shouldn't always think either or. We shouldn't put people in this category or that. But maybe there's a way that we think all around the possibilities and see an opportunity to learn from God's nature in, in the mix. So there you go. Now you're going, that's just nuts. What is he talking about? Well, I think what we want is assurance. We want Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Okay. So we're looking for assurance, and every little tidbit helps towards that. And he's saying, I know. Um, we live in a day not only with people deconverting, but we, we also live in a time when everybody, not everybody, but there's a mass exodus from the, the Christian church, from the evangelical church. There's a millennial, the nuns are now right, the, the, the biggest category. Um, so the, the thing that people that I talk to, and, and I, I talk to them all the time because I see young adults every weekend by the score, and they, they can't see that the church is any help to them in the things that they struggle with. Because largely they think that we have said, don't ever ask that kind of question. When what, what we want to say to them is, by all means, ask that kind of question. But, but they've seen the, the church kind of caricatured and, and organized in a way that it, it doesn't fit them anymore. Even with, without casting aspersions on what the church is doing, they're just saying, like that time when the church was, was huge and you had a great band on the stage and all that kind of stuff, that, that doesn't work for me anymore. And people are talking about deep questions, like questions of doubt, and they're essentially asking, when I'm having conversations with them, is it okay to ask that question? Like, could, could I come to your church if I asked that question? And why we need to be able to say, you could come to church if you ask that kind of question. Because doubters are welcome, and questioning is welcomed at their tables. That's why we have tables, and we have chairs, and we say there's no conversation here that's ever over, as long as you want to keep talking about it. However, this talk is over, so... You're saying thank you for that very much, and we're going to sing right now, and there is a perfect segue to 